I'm Austin Basis, and this is Actor Speak, where actors speak and I listen. The actor I'll be speaking with today is Goya Robles. A Stamford, Connecticut native, Goya Robles is a lifetime member of the Actors Studio and holds an MFA from the Actors Studio Drama School at Pace University in New York City. A Latino actor of Puerto Rican and Ecuadorian descent, his portrayal of heartbreaking, volatile, vulnerable characters have become a stamp in all his work. Goya is most recognized for his breakout role as Iago in the critically acclaimed series Get Shorty on Epics, working alongside Ray Romano and Chris O'Dowd. He has starred in numerous independent films, including a supporting lead role as Teo in the film 1155, starring John Leguizamo, Elizabeth Rodriguez, Victor Almanzar, David Zayas, and Julia Stiles. He is also the executive producer of the short film Wonder, which has won over 20 national and international film festival awards, including the HBO Shorts competition at the Martha's Vineyard African American Film Festival and the Audience Award at Urban World. Most recently, he also produced and created the art film Who Am I?, a spoken word piece about race and responsibility. You can see him in the upcoming films Rattled and High Ceilings, and on the TV series Power Book 3 Raising Canaan on Stars. Goya's theater credits include the role of Jackie in the actor studio production of The Motherfucker with the Hat by Stephen Adley Girgis in Los Angeles, Raul in Extremities by William Mastro Simone, and Richard in Crystal Clear by Phil Young, both at the Dance New Amsterdam Theater in New York City. He also starred in the Labyrinth Theater Barn series of Mark Borkowski's play Valentino's Wing, starring Michael Shannon and Annabella Sciorra, and directed by Ellen Burstyn. Goya is also the creator of Paint the Mic, a performing and visual arts collaboration which brings attention to local organizations whose mission is to support underserved communities. As a spoken word artist himself, Goya created a way for artists of diverse disciplines to use their craft as a way to directly impact communities in need. It was born from a need to push the boundaries of expression of what we call the artist. Poets, painters, and performers are paired together to work in collaboration to create original, thought-provoking pieces of art, all for the primary goal of raising money and resources for local philanthropic organizations whose mission is to serve the community. Goya also taught slam poetry at the Lee Strasberg Institute in West Hollywood, and his first compilation of poems was released at the New Yorican Poets Cafe under the title Spit My Soul. What strikes me most about Goya's work beside his talent are his heart and authenticity, but it's his artistry that really shines through in everything he does, whether on stage, on screen, or as a poet and producer. As both an actor and an advocate, he's able to speak the truth, taking his pain and perspective and channeling them into his art. That's a lot of what the actor Studio is all about, and Goya is one of the members that best exemplifies that. Plus, he's just a really cool dude. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the multi-talented, multifaceted, multi-dimensional Goya Robles. Damn, I've had an intro. I don't think I've had an intro like that, man. I'm gonna have to call you more often. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have to kiss someone's ass before I ask them the tough questions, right? <laughs> no, but it's all true, man. Done a lot. Yeah, sometimes that. Some sometimes like when you're doing stuff, you don't really, you don't really realize how much the, the you know the body of work ends up looking like like last last night i was 
going over just like my biography. It's one of the things I hate doing. But I was going through it with my brother and I read it to my brother and he was like, dude, that sounds legit. And I was like, yeah, you know, and, and but, you know, like, again, you just about the work and, you know, it was only moments like that. I'm like, oh, damn, maybe, maybe I've done more. Maybe I should acknowledge it a bit more. But anyway. Yeah. I mean, at sometimes you just got to take, take a step back. You know, you take the step back and you say, this is what I've done so far and still working, still going and still more things to accomplish and put myself out there for. And, uh, I think it's good to recognize how far you've come and also what you've done, but not dwell on it. You know, you're looking ahead to a couple projects and that's, that's what's on your, your mind now, but it's nice to know that you have this, you know, fully legit resume, as your brother said, <laughs> to, to look back on and looking back, you know, when you think about, you know, your start in the arts, you know, I don't know if it was, whether it was spoken word or if it was, you know, TV or film or what your first experience was like as an audience member that got you interested in this, this art and craft. Can you think back to that? Is there, is there a certain moment when you're a kid, uh, when you're a young aspiring artist, if there's something like a movie or TV show, or even a show, like a live show that blew your mind or like got that, you got those juices going and said, Oh, I want to do that. To be honest, I, I didn't know, like, when I was growing up, I didn't really know I was gonna be an actor or an artist. Like that really wasn't the focus, you know? Like well, our family was super poor and like, oh, you know, like always struggling and trying to trying to make something better of ourselves. But I do remember, I think I was like around 11 years old, maybe 11 or 12. And I was watching Al Pacino and Scent of a Woman. And I just remember this moment where he was like alone. And it was the first time I got to see him just like not happy. He didn't have it together, like just how lonely he was. And I just remember feeling it in my body, like in my chest. I felt like a rush from my feet all the way to the top of my head, just feeling what, what, what was happening. And then I remember the next thought that I had was like, I could do that. I could do that. <laughs> but, but like, I never, but again, I had that thought and then never would I have guessed that 14 years later. So I would be in grad school for acting. Like my first, my first audition I ever had in my life was for the graduate program, you know, for, for the actor studio, the uh, drama school. So yeah. That, so that would say that was the first time where I got the, I had the thought, you know, the thought that like, this is, I have it in me, but I just didn't know what that was going to look like. So between that moment and you auditioning for the actor's studio and kind of maybe experiencing that, that high for the first time on stage as a performer, was there anything in between that pushed you to that or uh, guided you to that? And then I guess a follow-up question is once you were there and performing, uh, what was that first pivotal experience in grad school or performing on stage that you were like, oh, not only am I going to do this, I'm going to keep doing it for the rest of my life. So I would say the itch when it came to like, you know, that type of artistic expression really started in my love of hip hop. 
you know, like that was in the 90s, especially like in the, in the, in the late 90s. And I was still in high school. And I remember like I used to listen to Onyx and, and B.I.G. and and yeah, back the fuck up. The Onyx is here. All that good shit, you know, but I, I remember writing my first verse down and then I went to my boy and I was like, yo, check this out. And I started spitting the verse. And after I finished, he was like, yo, that shit was trash, bro. And I was like, damn, bro. And he's like, yeah, he's like, write about something that matters. And so that stuck with me. So then I, I wrote some shit. I wrote some like, some like super social political piece that I, I don't know how it came out of me. And, and I saw him the next week and spit it for him. And he was, he just lost his mind. He's like, yo, you wrote that? I'm like, yeah. And that was like, okay, maybe that's what I need to do. Instead of, instead of rhyming about like all the violence and all the crazy shit and glorifying it, then maybe I should actually you know, take my experiences, even if they're difficult and, and, and uh, make them mean something. And so that was kind of my first real introduction into that particular art form. And, and so that's what I started doing. I started performing hip hop, started writing uh, like music and, and performing on stages. Um, and then when I, I think it was like in maybe 2000 or something in 2001, I was introduced to Def Jam poetry. And so I kind of shifted, I pivoted from, from hip hop right into this world where, where, you know, hip hop for me was about like certain rhymes and patterns and, and the musicality of it. But there was something about the poetry where it was like using images as a way to express an experience. And so I completely immersed myself in that. And I got really good at writing and performing flashy stuff, like things that would cause a reaction in the audience. And I, I used to perform all the time, like all the time I used to perform until my writing became personal. And when my writing became personal, I stopped performing for a long time. For, you know, I, I think I, I yeah. I had stopped performing for a couple of years and then eventually I grad I, I graduated undergrad barely um, and I ended up meeting this girl this girl her name is Mireya and I, I used to like have a crush on her I actually like I was like trying to motivate on her and she one one day she was like you should come check out this play I'm in, and, and she was in this play called Platanos and Collard Greens in New York, and um, she was great in it. And so I went again, and she was great in it again. She played a different role this time, and she was great in it. And I was like, well, I, didn't, I had no idea. That, that, I didn't really have a lot of, I didn't really go to theater. That wasn't in my background. My family didn't really do those things, you know what I mean? So this was really like my first real off-Broadway experience and I was so intrigued by it I wasn't really doing shit you know I didn't have anything figured out after uh, undergrad so I decided to I hit up my brother Javier I was like yo I want to audition for this program the acting studio program I, I just looked up acting schools and it was one of the first things that came up I was like let's do this and that's kind of how I got into the acting game and um 
was not prepared for how real that experience ended up becoming. It was probably the, 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 the three most impactful years in my life. Yeah, well, you're still here today doing doing it and doing it at the top of your game. So obviously it had a, a great impact. Did, you know, this might be uh, an odd question because of your journey towards going to school and kind of finding the acting in, in, in the rawness of the performance you know, coming from a, you know, spoken word and come a hip hop background, but did your love of acting come from the, the joy of it? Or did you find it, it as an escape from something else? Um, in other words, did, did the acting help you overcome adversity that you were dealing with or that you've dealt with or trauma? And does it do that for you now? If so, how? For sure. I, I, that's exactly what it ended up becoming. I didn't know that that's what it was going to be. I went in there because I, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to do acting. I was like, it was a craft that I was interested in. I didn't know I was interested in it. And, and then I took it on. And because I didn't come into the craft with any old habits or anything, it's a brand new craft. I started to see what it took to, in order to, to give these characters a genuine life in a heartbeat you know i have there's always a cost there's always a cost on the instrument that is a, a, attempting to channel this character there was a play that i did called extremities and I, when i was playing raul so the whole play it starts off with a man who walks into a home and at first you think he's mistaken the woman that lives there says, "Is you know, you're mistaken. No one lives here that you're looking for." And then eventually, you start to realize that he's on there on purpose, and he's actually there for the woman. And he attempts to rape her, and something happens. She takes advantage, and then for the rest of the play, she's raping and tort—I mean, she's torturing him in his in her fireplace. So going into that, like. I remember when, when we were first uh, rehearsing the piece, I had a really hard time with the rape scene. I just couldn't go there, it was, it, you know? Um, and after so many failed attempts, our, dire our director was Javier, Javier Molina directed us in the play. And he's, he goes, listen, man, without your willingness to go there, the play just doesn't work, you know? And that stuck with me. And so the next day, I want to try something new. I started playing like with creating this character, like just creating its shadow. And that's part of the work too that I, I got to learn was like shadow work. You know, the things that are hidden in the dark that, um, uh, so how do you incorporate that in the work? Um, and that's a whole nother discussion, but for time's sake, I started moving my body in ways that I've never moved it before. I started using my voice in ways that I had never used it before. And the scene, when we started the scene, it ended up becoming such a real experience, right? And, and mind you, I, 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 had control, I have control of my instrument. So I was, within the framework that we played in, I allowed myself to really go there so much so that my scene partner screams out my name, my actual name, and breaks character. And she runs out 
the room crying and like and then that's when it hit me like you know because of the abuse like I've, I've had I've encountered sexual abuse several times as a kid and it was through that experience that I had realized how much it had hurt and affected me and so it became this huge purging I was like sobbing and it was it was kind of manic in that in that room and then at a certain point once we all came together we realized the importance of how we needed to do this play and so that is kind of like one example of how the work has become a medium for processing not only my own trauma and my own like all the baggage that I come with but also as a way to empathize with people or characters that we normally would ostracize right so like for example I would never condone rape especially as a person who's going through that as a child but like being able to embody the character of Raul I was able to humanize them in such a way where it forced people to deal with the fact that, oh, like this person, this is a human being with, with all the flaws that come with being that and in that circumstance. And, you know, it's so easy to push all the people that we demonize into our judgments. But when you have to deal with the whole reality of who they are, then what, you know? And so that that's the that's the thing that that I think has helped me also. Um, it's it's a way to deal with my shit, and it's also a way for me to take a second look, a third look, a fourth look at the at the people that normally I would just condemn to my judgments. Yeah, I think that's the interesting thing, too. As an actor, you are forced by the craft to really look at things from someone else's perspective, because most characters you play are not going to be you. So they might have similar experiences to you, but you wind up adjusting your experiences for the character's experience, not the other way around. And in some cases, you're playing villains or criminals or in your case, in that situation, a rapist, I played that, I did that scene too, where it's mm -hmm. like, how do you, how do you see that and approach it without judging it? Um, judging it as a human, but not judging it as an actor. For sure. Yeah. And it, that is a challenge. That is the challenge. And I think also giving yourself the space to like, listen, every character that I come across, I have judgments on them at first. You know, like I do, I'm, I'm human. And so I give myself the freedom to have that as long as I don't stop there, you know, as long as I do the work to like, let go of the judgments and try to understand what it is that allow, that, that pushes people to make those kind of decisions. And, and, and plus villains don't know that they're villains, you know, they never know that they're ba the bad guy. They're just doing what they feel like they need to do. So, yeah. And if they do know what they're doing, they, their judgment of it is not preventing them from doing it. Their, their moral compass is turned towards the, uh, the red as it were. So in school, you, you have this evolution as an artist and an actor, and you obviously realized pretty quickly that acting wasn't just about memorizing lines and kind of getting on the stage and emoting. 
that there was a technique. How did that affect your relationship with the craft and acting? Was it something that scared you and pushed you away or challenged you and, and made you dig deeper and invest more in, in the, in the craft and the pursuit in the technique and the education of it? Yeah. I almost left after the first year. I mean, it, it was such an emotional roller coaster. I was, I really wasn't prepared for all the things that ended up op opening up in, in me. And I had such a great teacher, um, uh, Elizabeth Kemp, who, who passed away like three years ago, I think now. And she really pushed us to, 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 to crack our armor. And I was able to, and in such a way where I, things started coming up in my life that I, I hadn't realized I was still dealing with. Like, like there was something that was going, oh, I had a, I had a we did an exercise called a, pri a private moment and I really went for it, you know? It, it, and there was something, my sister, like my sister came up and my sister passed away when I was like 15. And here I am, a 24-year-old man, you know, engaging in this exercise that all of a sudden my sister's popping up in and realizing that there was a whole nother element of her passing that I hadn't processed yet. And that was one of several things, several things that came up, you know, from, from my past. And I was not ready. I was not ready to deal with those things. And I was, I couldn't turn it off. I think that was the biggest struggle is like to learn how to, once you go through it, you know, a ritual to create a ritual so that it, you leave it in the space and you don't bring it with you. So that was the problem. I was bringing it with me everywhere. And I was like, it's just tormented human just walking the streets of New York, you know? So, so, um, but I, I ended up doing this course that ended up really giving me another perspective on how to how to deal with um just how to, yeah, like how to deal with with myself and how to let things go and how to give it its own proper place and and so i stuck it out but that i think that's what, what it was when i realized that i can create a ritual to enter into a space and also a ritual to exit a specific space that made the world of difference that made the world of difference yeah, I mean, it is, once you start tapping into that stuff, you know, it's a literally, you know, an oil mine, it's a, an untapped well, a spring, a wellspring of emotion. And if there's enough of it there and, and you're able to tap into it that much, it's really another level of the craft and the technique to learn that there's a time and place and how to differentiate between you on the stage as an emotional human flawed person and then you stepping off stage and then into the real world with those same experiences that you just had but not not being sucked back down into the into those places that you've kind of navigated yeah for sure and also realizing that theater and film and the craft is not a substitute for therapy like is not the same thing I can't begin to, to speak on the value of having someone like a good therapist to process 
all this shit that I end up revealing or opening up in my craft. It's, 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 it's so important to distinguish the two so that they can work hand in hand in helping at least, you know, the artist to, to have some type of stable sanity. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, totally. Uh, it's like you have to be able to say it and name it before you could manipulate it and control it as an artist. Um, and that's what therapy does to kind of channel to channel that information and that uh, knowledge into the craft, as opposed to the other way around, which is all fucked up in a way a lot of people deal with shit in our industry. So besides actor studio method training, have you explored other training techniques um, that have helped, you know, whether it's Meisner, Adler, or any type of other forms of, um, you know, energy work or, or, or technique that have, you know, kind of brought you where you are today as a, you know, an adult professional actor? Um, yeah, there were things here and there that I've, I've explored with, like, um, uh, I did something called the idiot, the idiot workshop, I believe it's like clown school. So that was, that was an awesome experience, you know, just like, it was a completely absurd, completely ex absurd experience as far as the way that we played, you know, like it, it was a different way of always being in the question, you know, and, and man, I, it, it took making a fool out of myself to a whole nother level. Like <laughs> people would have probably thought I was a madman if they had ever witnessed the, the stuff that we were doing there. Um, so that was great. I've I've done some um, I've, I've done some Meisner. That's definitely something I'd love to explore more. But I've definitely like um, trained with a couple of teachers that played played around with that technique. Uh, I've done some UCB um, improv. So uh, and what else? And then just in general, I try to just learn, just stay in the process of learning something new, like. You know, I'll, I'll, sometimes I'll pick up the guitar and learn a new scale. Uh, right now I'm learning French, you know, on this app that's called Memrise, which they, right now they're getting a plug for no reason, but whatever. Um, uh -huh. So just trying, like, trying new things, right? Because I, I think f for me, I had a, an acting teacher that once told me, you know, if you're an actor, stop thinking that that's all you have to do in order to be better. Like you actually have to live a full life in order to have tools to pull from. And that always stood with me. I was like, oh, okay, I, I should actually go and have new experiences, you know, have have nothing to do with acting and see what happens from that, you know? So that's, that's kind of been my philosophy, you know, for the last few years, so. I try new things and, and just to see, just to keep me sharp, you know? Yeah. And I think uh, when you work consistently, like you have, when you're doing so much and you're on set so much, the time offset becomes about refilling the tank and, and living your life so that when you go back to set, you have more to, to draw from. You know, when you talk about, you spoke about a couple of teachers, talk about Elizabeth. I, I had Elizabeth for basic technique as well. 
was she the teacher for you that stands out as the most pivotal and the one that, you know, whispers in your ear when you have moments of, of doubt or uh, struggle with parts in your process? Or is there another teacher that stood out as well that was maybe more pivotal? I, I can't imagine that she was, you know, just a, a different kind of teacher in person than anyone I've ever met. No, I, I think is Elizabeth was for me that person, you know, she, she always knew what to say. She, she, and, and the thing is, you know, when I was studying with her, I never held back. I didn't have any technique to rely on. I was learning everything for the first time. So I did everything fully. And her and I just had, I had a special, special relationship with her. And she could, she knew that she could always rely on me to, to just give it my all, like I, not waste time and just really give it and make it urgent. It wasn't until after I graduated where I went through this phase where I was working like harder than I needed to, right? But she, she always like she always pushed me, always pushed me to make the, the 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 most urgent choices in my work, the most heart wrenching choices, the ones that you know. She she always said if you if you didn't if you haven't found like the core wound of the character, then you don't have it. You know you don't have it. So every character has that. What is the core wound? So that's something I carry on with to this day. Like always searching for that. And and yeah, I, I've had I've had a few teachers after her that still like are impactful, um, but she's she's just the one that she was just like my, she's just like a, a really good, tough mother who was will push you to the edge whether you like it or not. Yeah, I found she like she was she was tough in that way, but she'd push you to the edge and catch you if you fell. Um, yeah. I used to call her method mom because I always felt like she was like method and hardcore, but she, you know, kind of had that chill mom, you know, favorite aunt vibe that you're like, I'm not going to fuck with you, uh, <laughs> but you're really nice. And like, you know, just being in her presence, I always felt like I was more vulnerable and emotional because she had that, that vision and that, I don't know if it's called quietude or like this peace that just made me feel like I was being seen and seen through. And it made me feel both nervous, you know, alive and, and, and who didn't as, as a heterosexual guy have a crush on her, but it's like, you know, it's like having a crush on a teacher. It's not like there's, you, you don't think anything's going to happen. It's just that kind of awe and, you know, the schoolboy kind of crush, but it was because she was such a, a powerful presence and teacher. So from school till now, you've auditioned for tons of stuff, you know, theater, film, TV, you know, maybe even commercials, but you've had this kind of tool belt. I always think of it like we have a garage, like a, a tool shed, right? That we have all the stuff we've ever learned. Then we have a tool box that we bring, you know, with us where we kind of draw from mainly like the, the tools we use most. And then for each individual part, it's kind of like a tool belt. You decide which aspects of what things you've learned, the specific parts of them that you're going to use. So when 
you audition or you you prepare for a role, how do you use all the things that you've learned? What is your process and has that evolved over your career since school? Right. So when I first started off, like after I graduated, you know, I have all these tools that I learned and my big mistake at the beginning of that journey that I made was thinking that I needed to use every tool that I had in order to, you know, do, do a good audition or to, or, or to do a scene well and, and to really find it. And so I worked my ass off, but I just I overworked, you know, always. It, it was like, I stopped trusting. I started thinking that the point of acting was, you know, doing all these tools I learned and, and not realizing that, uh, you know, I'm the starting point. And for years after I graduated, was it was a time I was super frustrated and didn't know what to do and was actually thinking about getting out of the game. I had, you know, I graduated in 2009 and then I was living in LA by, two, by the, what, 2011, 2010 or 2011. And I was auditioning here and there and trying to make something of myself, but nothing was really happening, nothing. And, and I couldn't put my finger on it. It was like, I, I, would, I would audition for these roles and I was looking so hard to give these casting directors what I thought they were looking for all the time, like all the time. And then one day, and this is when I was like, I was working at Cheesecake Factory and I was working at the Lee Strasberg part-time and I was like hustling weed on the side and, and still it wasn't like, I just wasn't making ends meet the way I needed to. And I was so exhausted. And I, I remember telling my brother when I came home, like, yo, I don't think this shit is for me anymore. I just don't think so. And I was at my wit's end and I got an audition. That's when I got the audition for Get Shorty the next day. And I remember uh, my, my manager, she goes, you, she's at, you're like really right for this. I think you could book this. And so I started playing with the material in ways that I hadn't played with it before. But like, I think the thing that was different with that audition than any other audition I had done before was the fact that I didn't give a shit about giving the casting directors what they were looking for. I did not care. I didn't, I didn't care. At this point, it was like, whatever. I'm going to do what the fuck I want to do. I am going to find the heartbeat within me, and it's going to be what it is. And it was so, it was so palpable that when I went in, I, like, I knocked it out the park. But mostly because I didn't care. I didn't care about trying to please any of them. And lo and behold, that ended up being the, the, audition that I knocked out the park and land and landed the role. And there was something to that. There was something to that. And then it took me some time after that to master that truth. Cause it's one thing to, to be, we call it the fuck it stage, right? Where like you, you're always trying to please everyone and trying to do the right thing and not getting anywhere. And then eventually you arrive to this place. You're like, fuck it. I'm just going to do what I want. I had gotten to that point, but I hadn't mastered it yet. So there were auditions after that where I was still doing the same thing from before, you know, like trying to please people. And eventually, after a while of like letting go of this idea that I gotta, I gotta 
you know, please others or try to find what they're looking for. The minute I gave that up, all of a sudden, like, I started just landing way more callbacks, way more auditions, letting things things go at the end of the day. I don't know if that answered your question. I don't know if we went off on a tangent, but but yeah, I think, um, so yeah, that's, that's, for me now, it's about starting from myself. Like I read a piece and see where it lands in me, where it lands in my body before I even think about trying to play around with any of the tools in my toolbox. Like, where does this live in me first? And then from there, you know, then I'll start to, I'll read the material over and over and over again and see, you know, collect little pieces of information that I feel like, you know, how could I incorporate this in my body? Do I need to do animal work for this? You know, whatever it may be, but it always comes from a place of, um, my own self-expression. It's no longer related to, you know, what do I need to do to get the job? Or what do I need to do to impress this person so that they can call me back later? Or blah, blah, blah. Like, that, that's, that's where I've gotten with my work when it comes to that part. So my next question is when you do book something versus how you prepared and went into that audition, what goes into your thought process from the time you book it to the time you show up on set? And in your case, continue playing a single character that evolves and how do you keep the integrity of that character? How do you not fuck up what you did in the audition or try to repeat it? How do you like, reinvent it and recreate it over and over with a a character like Yago. So like when I was working on Yago, once I got the role, then came all the real work. Not not that the real work didn't start with the audition, but this is when I I really got into the depth of, like I picked an animal for him because like studying his behavioral traits you know, he always wanted to um, be the boss and except his aunt was the real boss. And so when I was like doing my research, I discovered um, a, a spotted hyena and the spotted hyena, the, 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 low, the highest ranking male still has lower status than the lowest ranking female. And so it was like, oh shit, let me take this on and see what it's like. And it felt right. You know, um, I incorporated that in my body. I created a whole backstory. And um, like when I create a backstory of my character, I interweave what comes up in my imagination with things that have happened to me in my actual life. So that as I read it, I can really connect to the material because it's so much of me is in it as well. You know, um, I... I reread the script over and over again just to see if I find any clues about the place that I came from, the environment that I was bred in. What else? I'll reach out to every artist that I that's in my circle that I like respect and and just to get different perspectives. Like I'll 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 read it with them and and humble myself, right? Because I don't I don't try to pretend like I know what I'm doing. You know, I, so much of this work is, is, is trusting your instrument 
and how it receives the truth and not having to feel like you have to figure it all out yourself. You know, there's a humility involved in the process when you receive things and, and that's, and also knowing when not to receive things. Sometimes people, even if they give great notes, it might not necessarily be the right one for your instrument, you know? So animal work is a huge part of my work. I don't always do it because I don't always need it. Um, but sometimes when I really want to differentiate someone from myself, I'll, I'll, I'll really take the time to investigate you know, this character and what animal they represent to me. Right now, I'm working on this, uh, this feature film that we're gonna start shooting in a couple weeks. And it's dope, it's about, it's about these thieves who, they're, they're on a job and they end up kidnapping the wrong person. And it's like the, the, like the twin brother of a mob boss, and, you know, and it's a comedy and it's crazy. And I'm reading this thing and I was like, oh wow. Oh how this dude feels like like a wolf or like or like um like a wild dog. And I started doing my research and how how they run in packs, you know, and I had to let I had to let go of certain um ideas of what I had with a certain species of animal because they didn't operate in the same way that I thought that they did. And so it's like these thieves operate like a dysfunctional family, but like they're they're pretty close and i was like oh i can't use this species of wolf and so it you know it's like little things as i'm reading the script more and more i start getting more clarity about what animal it can be and then i'll dive into that research and those are all the th you know things like that allow me to get out of um trying to get it right right because animals never ever ever think about what's right or what's wrong like it's pure impulse and so that's the point right it's like how do we achieve that kind of embodiment in, in our instrument and in our work? So that's how I, that's kind of like my, my bread and butter. Like when Elizabeth taught me that technique, I went to town. That was like, that's, that's, that's my baby right there. It's like, well, what animal is this? And it's fun. It's so fun. It's so much fun. I remember uh, doing uh, animal work in Elizabeth's class and I actually picked a hyena. And it was really fun, man. And then I, I wound up using it for a play at the actor studio where I had to play like a, kind of a Nazi SS type guard um, that was always laughing and knocking hats off people's heads. I was a hat knocker. So it was called the round heads and point heads. It was kind of like a Brecht piece about Nazi Germany and how the Jews were ostracized. So if you had a certain type of head, you were penalized for being born with a certain type of head. You know, there was round heads and point heads. And so people would wear hats to hide their heads. And this these two people would, as guards, kind of hat knockers, would knock hats off people's heads just to see who they really were. And then if they were the wrong, they had the wrong shaped head, they would be arrested. But the, the animal work for me is like, it is playtime. It is kids' playtime. I used to teach a kid's class where it was an improv game where you divide the class up into two, they line up across and one person goes, goes first and picks a person across the, I want to go with Billy. And he's, and you say, I want Billy to play a rhino. And then whoever you picked, Billy says, I want Austin to play a wolf. Right. And then you have to cross 
as those animals interact and then go go to the opposite spot. And it's just a kid's game. But to me, it's like when you do the research to find out what breed of wolf, what all these details of it, you know, you get so much more than you would have normally got if you're just like analyzing it as a human being and especially physically, but also instinctually because you have different instincts than these animals. Like you said, there's a lot of you know self-awareness with humans. That's not like that with animals. Well, because animals don't have a prefrontal cortex, so they're not reasoning. They're not reasoning what they need, you know. So their amygdala is active as shit, and 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 they, it, what they need is lives in their body, you know. So I think I think animal work is such an important, for me. I'll speak for myself. It's become such an important tool, in in discovering, the impulses of 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 certain characters and, and how they how they function and what drives them. Um, and it just, for me, it just allows me to just get out of my head. Cause I, I, I do live in my head a lot. Um, just as, as, as Goy, you know, I, I, I tend to overthink things. And, and so it's tools like that that allow me to get out of my head and into my body. And, and which is probably why I love the craft so much is because it, it it, it gives me a process. It gives me to be in my, in my body. Yeah. You know, you're a deeply thoughtful person and creative and you create things from your mind. And in, in a way I I'm, I'm very similar. A lot of my process is the same kind of balancing my imagination with my experience in life. And um, I feel like it's a way of connecting the thoughts we usually have and are thinking all the time, even at night and connecting it to an emotion, the emotion that's present for the actor or the character, and then putting that into an action and a tactic and a motive. When you analyze a scene, when you kind of break it down into the, you know, the actor type of terms we talk about, is there an element of the scene that you think is most important for that scene or that character portrayal to be successful? So like to go through a few, uh, there's relaxation, there's objectives, there's tactics, actions, motives, subtext, spontaneity, listening, connecting with the other actor, or the just emotional life and truth of the character. Of those things, or maybe I, I didn't mention one, is there an element you think is the main element that you need as an actor, you, Goya, need to hit and, and be in and be clear about for that scene and that character to be a success or to be real? For me, it's relationship. So if I, I need to be clear on what the relationship is to who I'm speaking to in order for that scene to work. If, if I don't know who I'm talking to, it's it'll be super general for me, just my own experience and my own work and what the event is. So I need to know what is in the scene because every scene has an event. Let me say it again. Any well-written scene will have information, new information that's being revealed about something, something important that needs to be present. And you need to know what that is for yourself. Um, those are the two things for me. I just simplify it. I don't like to think of like too many things. I, I can always play in the moment for sure, like you can give me different actions and I can approach a scene differently as long as I know who I'm talking to 
And as long as I understand the stakes, um, and the stakes are usually inside the event. So it's like, what's happening in the scene, you know? Um, relaxation is more of an active thing, I think, outside of the scene. You need to, I mean, you could do it in the scene too, but it's it's not necessarily related to the 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 writer and what they're trying to communicate. You need to be relaxed in order to access that, right? So I do, uh, obviously, relaxation, as far as the actor's instrument, is the most important thing, I believe, so that you can have access to the emotional life um, of the character. But as far as the actual dynamic of the scene, those are the two things, relationship and event. Yeah, there's so much to choose from as an actor who's who's prepared and who has been trained. And there's so much in the choice of those things, especially, you know, talking as someone who has been a series regular to someone who is a, seri a series regular on a show, there is a different pace with which the, the scripts come at you. So you got to make a lot of choices in a little amount of time. And, you know, when you're talking about events of the scene, you really do have to know the event of each scene because you shoot so out of order and so quickly. So for me, at least, I took this idea from Philip Seymour Hoffman when he came to Inside the Actor Studio. He said he named the scenes, like he would come up with a name for each scene that captured what the event of that scene was. So if you would say, this is the scene where I tell my aunt to go F herself, you know? For me, at least, it's creative. You make up a creative title, but at least if you look at the scene really quick, you've done all your work, and you're on the set or you're at the audition, you look at the top of the page, you have that one thing that, you know, you have the one title and you're ready to go. So you said the, the film you're about to do is a comedy? Yeah, it's a comedy. It's super violent. <laughs> super violent comedy or a dark, super dark, violent, violent comedy. Yeah, it's it's super violent. Um, it's funny as shit. Do you prepare or look at comedy differently when you're like approaching it? So you're doing animal work, but are you looking at the dialogue and you know, there's obviously jokes and you know, it's same thing in Get Shorty. Like your character had a lot of jokes. Was the punchline of a lot of jokes or? Um, so you had to be aware of that. But do you prepare or do you approach something that's quote unquote comedy versus? something that's drama, do you approach it differently? I, you know, I've, I've been told from people that I respect that the, diff the only difference between comedy and drama is that each choice is more desperate in comedy. And that always stuck with me, you know? Um, but it's more something that I have in the background. I, I don't, like when I approach it, I guess like, yeah, I mean, I just try to find the truth of, of who I am. You know, that's really what it is. I think the fact that like, be, because I understand that the stakes in the in this in this screenplay in particular are really high, like they're super high, and so I'm investigating animals that ha that can give me that energy in order to enter into the the arena when I play, 
but I still, it, at, at the end of the day, whether it's a comedy or a drama, like people are going through real shit. People are going through betrayal, you know, people are going through abandonment. Those, you know, whether it's funny or it's heartbreaking or both, like, you know, I, I, I find, I don't really see that my, my process differs much, except just in the background understanding that in comedies, things are, uh, have a little, like the energy is a little more desperate. But other than that, like, I'm just always looking for the truth, always looking for the truth of what these people are going through. And then just, and then just go for it, you know? And one of the things also that helps me a lot is when I'm like, whether it's an audition or whether I'm on set, it's like we do, we play with the scene, play with the scene. Then we'd be like, okay, you got it? Yeah, we got it. All right, so let me do it one more time. But like, now that we got it, I just want to do whatever the fuck I want to do. And so many times they end up going with that tape, you know, just like the, it's like a freedom. I don't know. I don't know. It's like a way to trick my brain. Like, okay, you know, because maybe I think there's a part of me that's insecure that doesn't know if they're going to get it. So I tried my best. I work hard and give them hopefully what they're looking for. And then finally, when I feel like it, it's safe, there's a safe one, then I really go for it. So that that helps a lot too. I mean, I think all actors are like that. You know, like you, you have it down. It's the safety and relaxation of saying, oh, I can let my shoulders down and then just live as the character and, you know, have some fun. Someone actually said that laughter is kind of the recognition of truth in something. So it's like you laugh because it's true. So to me, it's like just because it's written funny and said funny doesn't make me laugh. I only laugh when I recognize something as truth. And now shifting over to when you audition for knowing that it's going to be a different medium, is there an adjustment you make for a TV show versus a film like you just got versus a theater or a theatrical piece uh, that you're auditioning for? Is there some sort of conscious adjustment, adaptation, or different technique you use to approach those mediums, whether it's an audition or actually doing those things? So on a general sense, I would say only thing that really differs in the way I approach is that with film, I remember I can take my time a lot more because TV is always, you know, they move, you know, they're shooting like seven to 10 pages a day, you know, and, and in film, it's like three to five pages. Generally, that's generally speaking. But, you know, sometimes I'll get a project, a TV audition where they're filming it like a movie you know and those you have to take by case by case basis understanding what like i try to do my research you know what style are they shooting this in how how is the storytelling taking place you know is it fast paced uh who's shooting it that'll also tell you you know what how it's gonna be carried out um but yeah, my, my, my process generally is just, um, I know with film, I, I can take my time a bit more. I can be, uh, I can be a little more patient. Yeah. Patient. Um, what's the word when you want, when, when just super confident about like taking all the time you need, it's like a certain word. Uh, cavalier. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. 
Patiently Cavalier. We'll go with yeah, that one. Patiently Cavalier, yeah. This ends part one of our in-depth discussion. Keep listening to part two of my conversation with actor Goya Robles. Thanks again to Goya Robles for speaking with me, and thank you for listening. And thanks to my lifelong friend Jason Liebman and up-and-coming musical prodigy Dylan Hazen for composing and producing the Actor Speak intro music and theme song. It pays to have talented people in your life, and I'm extremely grateful for this sweet tune. One last note, I want to give a special shout out to Jenny Josephson for her guidance in conceiving and producing this podcast. Thanks for all your advice, patience, and support. Subscribe to Actors Speak on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, you'll be eligible to win some cool Actors Speak swag. Once again, thank you for listening. This was Actors Speak.